could not be much more excited about what God is doing here at New Life um, in this body of Christ that we call home. Uh, I, I do believe that God is building his church and calling people that, that are needed to be a part of this place so that this body can be built up. The Bible talks about the church as being the body of Christ. So when we talk about being a church member, what that really means biblically is that you are a member of the body of Christ, a finger, a toe, a heart, a brain. I'm not sure if I'm the brain. Some of you are the brain of the church. Uh, and every supporting ligament, and as every part comes together and does its work, as God puts them together, the body stands and the body is strong, and the body carries the spirit of Jesus Christ into the world. It's a very uh, remarkable thing to think about what God is doing, and I'm very excited about how it takes shape here. You know, people, people sometimes leave, and then other people come in, and we just I look at that in faith and say, God is building something here. God's at work. So join me in prayer as, as uh, God is doing his work in this body. And, uh, and look out for what God might be calling you to do as a part of this body. Because uh, each, each person here is called to be something, uh, a supporting ligament, maybe something no one even sees in the front. Maybe, but ask God. God says that he gives wisdom to all who ask without finding fault. He, he grants wisdom to those people who ask and who really want to know what his answers are. And so ask God, you know, what part am I to play? And if we don't have the ministry that God brings to your mind, come talk to me because God might be talking to you about something we need here that I've overlooked or the elders have overlooked. We want to hear from you as well. But really excited about being a part of what God is doing here. And I'm excited about the Church of Saratoga Springs. I got to speak at Terra Nova a few weeks ago and seeing, seeing what God's doing in their body. I met with the, the worship pastor from Revelation Church hearing about what God's doing in their new church plant. Uh, just have relationships all over town with these people and seeing the body being built up. It's very exciting and seeing the ways that we can work together to uh, glorify God. Because after all, in Revelation, 3, Revelation 1 to 3, the letters are to the churches of Philadelphia, the churches of Smyrna, not the small little body, but the, the church of the city. That's a real big, uh, exciting vision that God has. So today we're going to look, look at what are we really about here? New Life Fellowship. Why? Why are we here? What are we called to do? Sometimes you hear a sermon and you think, that's a good sermon. That's interesting. I remember stuff about it. But you walk away and have absolutely no idea what you're going to do with it. Has anyone had that experience? Upon, like you think, oh, that was interesting, or maybe not. Whatever the case may be, you walk away without a practical kind of um, application. I loved having John Soper here last week sharing about uh, knowing the Word of God and applying the Word of God it helps us to be successful in the kingdom. That's something that's a principle that uh, if adhered to over time, it might not seem significant day by day, but if you spend that time in the word, over time, you will become an effective minister for God because through his word, we get transformed by the Holy Spirit. So how many of you took Pastor Soper's challenge to be in the Bible every day and ask God, what should I do in the next 24 hours based on what I read? We were in, we were in Proverbs this week in Mission 119. So a lot, of, a lot of data to choose from. I, I, I'm glad that you took, took him up on that challenge. Because that's something that we can do. You know, you, you, it's, a, it's a practical thing that you can sit and do uh, that will definitely yield results. We believe that. But in our, in our, in our church, we, we have seven principles that we look at as practical ways that we can definitely grow and become effective disciples and and. Subsequently to that, an effective church for Jesus Christ to indwell by his spirit. 
So we have these seven principles. They're from the Bible. They're, they're part of our denominations makeup. But as I look over these principles, I see these are new life. We are these principles. And there will be a time at the end for you to add principles if you want to. I'll send them to the national office. We'll see what we can do. But, um, but these are pretty good. They're comprehensive. They're in the Bible. What are we really about here? Let's take a look. So number one, guiding principle for our church. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. How many of you have been lost in your life? Yeah. You were once lost, and now you are found, as the song Amazing Grace says. And some of us get lost even after we come to know Jesus. We get lost. We lose our way. But we have a God who is, um, that song Reckless Love sums up the idea that God is all about finding that which is lost. And uh, the, the verse that we have is, one of them is, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I challenge you to read the Gospel of Luke, or any other Gospel, but especially Luke, and look at who Jesus focuses his attention on. He focuses his attention on people that are outcasts in society. People that are Disease, people that are sick, religious people who've lost their way but would like to find their way back. Maybe many of you are religious people who've lost your way and you'd like to find your way back. Jesus was constantly reaching out to people who were lost. And for the people, and the truth is that everyone is lost apart from God finding them. Okay? The difference between a lost person and a not lost person is that the not lost person thinks that they're not lost. And thus, they have a pride that keeps them from connecting with Jesus Christ, who's looking for them. And to those people, there's not really uh, much hope because they've chosen to close themselves off from the shepherd who's seeking after them. And you see it constantly in the Gospel of Luke and other Gospels, how Jesus kind of, you have religious leaders trying to basically mess him up, trying to trap him, trying to, um, uh, you know, ultimately they wanted to kill him because he was a threat to their power. But you see Jesus saying, nope, not you guys, I'm going to go find the lost sheep of Israel. And subsequently, through the apostles, finding the, the non-Jewish people uh, that are seeking after God, the Samaritans. Uh, this is God's heartbeat. Luke 15, if you wanted to read something amazing uh, this week that would really show you the heart of the Father. Luke 15 has three parables. One is the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. And these stories, these three stories tell us about who our God is and what his, his uh, posture is towards those who are lost, whether they know him or not, whether they're religious or not, who are lost and know they need to be found. Um, I'm just going to read you this one parable, the parable of the son, from Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. It's a good plan, and it's a reasonable expectation. He said to his father, You're as good as dead to me. Give me my inheritance. And he spent all the inheritance on wild living. This is probably a best-case scenario he's pictured, that maybe my father will make me like a servant if I come back to him. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's a whole other dimension to that story with the older brother and how he feels about all this. But the point of this story is that when someone, this son had been lost the whole time. From the time that he asked his father for that inheritance money to the time that he was squandering on wild living to the time that he was wishing he'd eat the pig food, he'd been lost that whole time. But once he realized it, when he started to feel the, the, the results of the famine and the real hunger and the thirst that, that comes with it, he came to his senses. For the person that comes to their senses and realizes that they're lost and they need to be found, the Father is waiting and watching. With an attitude of, um, of, of love, with an attitude of uh, wanting to celebrate. And you know, this kid was not spoiled by this love. It was a restorative love that the Father gave. And that's the heart of the Father. He's always seeking and saving what is lost. If our God is concerned about lost people, should we be concerned about lost people? Lost people inside of our body who may be floundering and having a tough time? Lost people in Saratoga Springs and the surrounding area who don't have any Jesus in their whole family tree and have never heard? You know, in this city... For the first time in a long time in, in this generation, there are many people who don't have any Jesus Christ that they can remember in their family tree. You have been privileged with some information about a God who came to seek and save the lost. You have, some of you are first generation, you're the first believer in your family. I can look out and see you. Some of you have Christian parents, Christian grandparents, Christian great-grandparents, to, much, to whom much is given. You know, you were given that security and that, that information and that, that, uh, that foundation for a reason, and that is to reach the people that God wants to reach. So leverage all of that beautiful stuff that God's given you. Um, the knowledge you have, it doesn't have to be perfect knowledge, you just know, I once was lost and now I'm found. And other people can know that too. And people are hungry. They're spiritually hungry. At this prayer table at uh, the city center, we think to ourselves, oh, people don't want to have anything religious happen or prayer or Bible. You know, they don't, they're not going to want this stuff. Yes, they do. We tell ourselves that people are closed off, that they're not going to respond. We, we make up God's mind for him about who can respond and who can't. But people are hungry. And when people get to a point where they've come to their senses, you know, a famine could be a lost job, uh, a lost relationship. You know, all kinds of famines hit people's lives. And those are the things that, that God uses to bring us to our senses sometimes. And when someone's in that position, 
You know, they all of a sudden begin to see their need for someone to find them. And guess who is willing to find them? Their Father God who created them. And he wants to use you to show them. You who have a story of being found. You who have brokenness and sin in your life. And you can easily, you can easily relate to everybody who doesn't know Jesus because you're a sinner too. So you have that in common. Yeah? I love there's a church called the, the Congregation of Saints and Sinners. I think it's a funny name for a church. I like it though. Because it's not like saints or sinners. It's saints and sinners. A saint and a sinner is what you are. Still. Yeah? So you have a lot, you have a lot in common with people that don't know God. Some of us more than others. But you can use it. And God can leverage it for his glory. Right? That's a good principle. We, should we keep that in our, in our bag? Not bad? I think that's good. solid. You can do something with this. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. It says in Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we live this one out, guys, we'd be much happier. Pastor Sober shared that the word for blessed is actually translated into happy in the New Testament. So, or the end the Old Testament. So, blessed and happy are you, is the person who, instead of dwelling on anxiety... In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, gives their requests to God and trusts Him with those things. That's a happy person. Um, this is, uh, Jackie has, has a great magnet she put on her fridge. I don't know where she got it from, but it says, did you think to pray? <laughs> to me, it's like a little slap in the face whenever I walk by the fridge. I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> Apparently, Jackie did. She put it there, so. Did you think to pray? It's like, yeah, that's smart because God is the Lord and I am not. God knows things I don't. Um, and sometimes he'll tell me if I seek after him. Did you think to pray? All kinds of requests in every situation. It can't hurt to pray. Here's a good discipline that me and Jackie are doing. Let's be realistic. We have four kids. That's not realistic. But we did it. <laughs> Wasn't a realistic plan in Saratoga Springs, but this is what we've done. But here's a realistic prayer plan for couples who are tired of their, tired because they have kids and whatever, they're, they're beat at the end of the day, or, or, or people, any, any household, any person who's tired from their job at work and they come home and they're just wanting to go to bed. Before you turn on television, commit to pray. Before you throw the TV on, say, let's lift up other people and ourselves and our situations before the Lord. It's not bad to watch a show to wind down at the end of the day. Most people do it. Um, but maybe that could be a time to remind you. Maybe we should pray. And maybe that time that you would have spent watching a show, you'll have a little a longer time of praying. Or how about before you turn out the lights at night in your bed? What about before you, before you lay down and before you get up, before your feet hit the floor? I have a friend who taught me so much about praying 
you can you can learn a lot about praying from, from praying with people who pray. That's how you learn. It really is. And he tells me before he gets up for 15 minutes he prays before his feet hit the floor every morning. He always remembers before I hit the floor have I prayed. It's just a great great to put these little reminders. Put put a little dinger on your phone. Did you think to pray? 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It doesn't have to be an hour-long session. Just talk to God. All kinds of requests. You thought that was off-limits off to ask God that? Try it. Try it. See what he will do. Find other people who you can pray with. I have a couple people I meet with weekly, several people, who I, I pray with them, I see them. We, it's a great opportunity. There's brother or sister in Christ. We can pray. Um, we're prone to being self-sufficient but we're not good at it. So we should rely on God here. I love Hebrews um, 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Prayer is the time to ask yourself the question, do I really live in light of the reality of who God is in my life? And do I believe that he will hear me, that he rewards those who seek after him earnestly? Here's the third one. We talked, I kind of mentioned this earlier in, our, in uh, the offering time, but everything we have belongs to God. We are his stewards. And this is uh, taken from 1 Chronicles 29.14. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. That's an amazing heart attitude that is being expressed here. Who am I that I have this amazing wealth? It's from God. That I, can, I, can, I have the opportunity. You don't have to. I get to give generously. Everything comes from God. And everything that we have has only come from his hand. We, we often think of ourselves as being our own providers. But underneath all of that is this idea that God is our true provider. And I know it's hard to believe because you, you work and you get a paycheck and all these things. You have to believe by faith. Underneath it all, God is the provider. He's the one that provides you the job and the, the health to, to fulfill that job. Um, God owns everything and he's given us um, this trust. And um, happy is the person that isn't chained to their security being in finances and possessions. Blessed is the person who doesn't look to money for their security, but to God, who has all wealth. Blessed is that person. Because money can come and go, but God is, is eternal. Um, the Bible talks has a mutually exclusive clause that says, you cannot serve both God and money. That's a sobering thought. Because we spend a lot of our time serving money in our lives, security. But you can't serve both. It's great to make money. You should, be able, you should do your best to make money. It's, that's a great thing. It's a gift. But when you begin to love money and begin to serve money, then everything gets out of order. I don't want to get to the end of my life and just have subtly been in the boat of someone that served money because it's an easy and insidious thing to, to, to uh, grapple with. And sometimes, for people that are more vulnerable, like the lost son who had the, the famine in the land, for people that are, are agricultural and re- rely on the weather to, to produce certain um, certain circumstances where crops can grow, 
you know, those people tend to have an easier time trusting in God because they realize, I can't change the seasons, I can't change the frost. But for us, um, in this society in which we live, it's so easy to trust money and love and serve money and all the while think we're loving and serving God. But those things have to be in order in our lives. This is one of the sobering ones in Malachi 3.8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. That's pretty sobering. People people that don't give, um, you know, when when we fall into habits of not giving, when people fall into habits of not giving in church or or elsewhere with money, you know, that we think, oh, how much is it really? But I, I preached on this earlier this year. The crazy thing is that, you know, in one year, I've robbed God of about $6,000 from a single-income family, you know? Um, And after five years, it's about $30,000. $63,000 in 10 years. After 50 years, $315,000 I've robbed from God. And that's just 10%. I just don't want to stand before God someday and have him say, so what about my million (laughs) dollars? Because over time, you realize it doesn't seem significant on a week-to-week basis, but if you withhold your money from God, you don't tithe, you don't give, and support what God is doing or, or whatever in, in obedience with, with thanksgiving, over time it can really add up. And it's kind of sobering to see those numbers multiply. One of the great things about me and Jackie set it up so our bank account just sends 10% every week, which is great because I find myself doing ministry during the offering or leading worship or whatever it might be. And that's a great practice because one of the things I've thought about is when, when times get tough and, and finances are tight, I feel totally comfortable talking to God and saying, we need your provision. Because I know that I haven't been robbing God all this time. <laughs> but it just feels awkward when, when you don't give, and then you're like, oh, I need some help. And then you're like, oh, I haven't even been giving to God. So I, I've been trusting money, and then I need help from God. It's just kind of awkward. Of course, God is gracious and kind, and he helps his people. But I'm just saying, what a security in trusting God and not money. What a security that is to have that unashamed... Uh, feeling when we pray about finances and provision from God and talk about that because we know we're honoring God underneath everything else. Everything belongs to God. We are his stewards. I definitely do not want to be among the people who have, who have robbed God for sure. Um, and those tithes and offerings you know, went towards um, just very practical needs of, of worship in their days. So giving to the, to the household of God, to the local storehouse, it's something that's always been done. In, in, uh, in history and something that God has ordained for his provision. Here's what Pastor Soper hit on last week. Knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. From Joshua 1, 7 and 8. It says, Be strong and very cre- courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Knowing and obeying God's word is fundamental to all true success. No one knew God's word better than the Pharisees of Jesus' day. But Jesus' criticism of them was, you search the scriptures, you know the word, but you fail to come to the one which the word is pointing to, which is me, Jesus. So knowing is not enough, but finding Jesus and doing what it says is, is what determines success. And this is Pastor Soper's notes here. He said, your spiritual success or failure 
will be directly related to the role that the Word of God plays in your daily life. It's so important. It's so important. Jesus, though he was God in the flesh, God's second self, if you will, Jesus Christ quoted the scriptures in his life in order to be an effective minister. Thanks, honey. It sounds dry, huh? Kept going for the empty cup. Speaking of prayer, <laughs> without prayer, you are dumping from an empty cup. There you go. You go to find water, it's not there. Without the Word of God richly dwelling within your heart, it's an empty cup. You're an empty cup. Jesus used the Scripture. He could have, he could have freestyled new Scripture to, to the devil when he was tempted. Because you've heard it said, and he'd be like, well, i got something new for you. But he didn't. He quoted Deuteronomy. If, if, if it was important for Jesus to know and quote the Scripture in his life, the Son of God... You probably don't need to, right? I mean, we probably do need to. If you look at these amazing saints from the Bible, they all had God's word in their heart, and it came out in beautiful ways. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, if you read her Magnificat, which, which is her song she sings to the Lord, she's a, a teenage girl. She had the word of God in her heart. She quotes all these old prophets about, about God. A kid. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Pastor Soper's slides continue. We're reading through the Bible in, e in two years. We're on week 41 this coming week. Proverbs and Kings, I, I believe we're in. It's a free program on this website. Just make a login for free. Log in, hop into week 41. Start reading daily. Get the word of God in your heart. Hear John Soper's 10-minute commentary. Let the Word of God speak to you. Talk about these things as you see your church friends. When I come into the office since we started doing this, I'll, I'll talk to Pastor Corey, talk to Jen, our Director of Family Ministries, Carrie. We're all kind of doing it. We have, a, we have a great talk. Like we have a small group and we walk, just walk past each other. And the same is true of anyone who's doing this. We're on the same page. We're reading the Word of God together, bringing it into our hearts. So, last week's homework, if you didn't do it, hop in. It's going to change your life. The best prayer people I know are word people. Interesting, you know? They have, they have three by five cards with, prayers, with words of scripture on them and they pray. You know, they know the word. It's, it's a way to be deep. I want to be a deep person. Completing the Great Commission will require the mobilization of every fully devoted disciple. This is from Matthew 28. Therefore, Jesus, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. The work of reaching out to people and making disciples is not the work of the elders or the pastor. It's the work of the body. God has determined the exact times and places in which each of you will live and work. It says in Acts that he has determined all of these things very specifically. And the sobering thought is, there, is, there may not be a plan B. If you are a believer in your workplace, God might have placed you there in order to share about him with the people you're working with. And you might be the only gospel they ever hear. 
take it seriously. You know, invite people to, to church gatherings. We don't bite. You know, we, love, we love to get new people in the body. And I love it when people that don't know Jesus yet come and, and be a part of us and get to know us and become part of the body. And, and uh, we can see what God's made them to be. And, and seeing, just seeing people come to Christ. But we're a comfortable place, I think. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not such an awkward thing to just invite people that don't know Jesus to church or to just offer to pray with them or pray for them through the many dry seasons of their lives. Um, the work of discipleship is the work of every believer. And if every believer doesn't do that work, it doesn't get done because it's, pastors and elders can't do it alone. They certainly should do it, but it's for the whole body. You have made them a kingdom of priests unto our God, is what it says in Revelation. We read that. That God gave his life through Jesus to make a kingdom of priests who will bring God's presence to everybody. Plan A. We'd all rather God zap everybody and they all become to the family, but that's not how he's willed to do it. He's willed to do it through you. You might be the only one. I love this. Without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. 1 Corinthians, Paul, the very astute and powerful disciple of Jesus, says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on God's power. Each of us needs the the indwelling, infilling of the Holy Spirit. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit when they come to know Jesus, and then we leak. We need to constantly be asking God to fill us with His Spirit, to let His power rest on us, so that people around us can see who He is through us, broken vessels, and he can just leak out all over everyone around us. I often pray this prayer, fill me with your spirit. Five fingers, I call it, the five-finger prayer. Fill me with your spirit. I ask God for that, because it says, be filled with the spirit in the scriptures, and it says it uh, in, in such a tense that what it's saying is, be continually filled. Keep on asking. It's a great thing, and it's a needed thing. Achieving God's purposes means taking faith-filled risk. This often, always involves change. It says in Hebrews 11.6, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. Now, following after God in faith requires an element of risk. You know, putting yourself out there and trusting that what you, your belief is made material through, through God. Without faith, it's impossible to believe God, to um, please God. We have to believe, be sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. What's an example of faith that's very practical? Believing that God came for the lost, to seek and save the lost, that he loves them. And, that he, that, and, and you know, maybe an example of a faithful risk is getting over our hump and saying, God's after this person. God loves them. I know that from the Bible. I'm going to step out in faith and have a conversation with that person. And I'm going to invite them to come to know the Lord that I, that I know. It's just one example. But God is always giving people opportunities to um, either shrink back or to express faith. And faith pleases God. And some of the people's faith I've read about in spiritual biographies, it's incredible. Things I read about in the Bible, it's incredible. But God is calling us to faith. Fresh faith for us, for our day, for our time, for our circumstances. There's great stories of other people expressing faith. 
What about us? You know, what are we willing to do uh, to stand on God's word and to believe that He's living and active, and He's and He's moving? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I want to be a person of faith. Action step for this one is ask God to give you faith. I love how the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith when he said something difficult to them. He said, they said, increase our faith, Lord. And he did. Because they were humble and they were asking. We know we're lost. Help us not to be lost. Increase our faith. God, I think God always will answer that prayer if it's sincere and if it waits on him. He'll increase our faith. And eventually we'll find ourselves doing things in five years we would have never imagined that we would do. <laughs> because we've walked with God in simple faith. These are the things that we believe and build our lives on. Not a bad list. The Holy Spirit whispered to me during worship to send an email each day this week, starting tomorrow, based on one of these seven. So we'll go through the list. So if you're not on our email list for the church, go on the website, newlifeinsaratoga.org. Subscribe to our newsletter. You scroll down the page, put in your email address. I'm going to be sending the first email tomorrow just expounding upon these things and, and talking about the different ways we can apply them to our lives. But this is what we're building our lives on. This is what we build our church on um, because we believe these are the things that God's word is